Okay, y'all can have a seat now. We're ready to begin our second session, and this should go about the same amount of time as uh, Barry's teaching, and and um, from there we'll we'll have a little break before we go to dinner, and um, have you a chance there. But um, Jim Ertle is our next speaker, and uh, he is a employee of Andrew Womack Ministries. He's the director of partner relations, and uh, also. Um, oversees the publication department, and prior to joining the ministry, he worked for Pat Robertson's ministry, and uh, also Oral Roberts, and uh, most recently, he is an author um, of a book that uh, Harrison House published, actually, and uh, so anyway, he has a neat little ministry going on, and I believe you're going to really enjoy what he has to share with you, so let's give a warm welcome to Jim Ertle. Yeah. Thank you. Am I, am I on? Am I on, guys? Oh, well, maybe I'm not on. I don't know. I'll tell you what, Barry. You about had me in tears down here. You know that? I, I am going to change. I, I am going to think about this and meditate on this. You, you stole a bunch of my scriptures I was going to use today, by the way. i a little disappointed in that, but, uh, you know, those things happen, right? Because we're all on the same track. We're all listening to God. The Holy Spirit is working. And I think today, this afternoon, God's going to affect many of your lives. We're going to have a time at the end of this session to lay hands on you and to pray for you and to pray a Father's blessing over you. How many of you in here have ever had a father pray a blessing over you? I'm not talking about a priest now. You know, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. I have found very few men have ever experienced that. And there is a longing, there is a desire within the hearts of men to know that they are blessed. To know that they are his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And God is pleased with us. We've been hearing that all this week, have we not? Except the test the other night. You know, I was thinking after that test because I... You know, I might have had a C minus, maybe a C. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I was thinking I should just tell you guys to go bowling. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe I really don't have anything to say. I don't know. Uh, but that's self-condemnation, isn't it? That's self-judgment. And that's not what God wants us to do. You know, for many, many years, um, I wanted to be an independent self-made, self-sufficient, self-confident man. Anybody been like that? I'll tell you what, I'm not like that all at all now. I'm not interested in being self-made. First of all, there aren't any self-made men anyway. There aren't any. They don't exist. They just think they are. <laughs> Isn't that true? And when it comes to being independent, I no longer want to be independent. I want to be completely, absolutely, totally dependent on him. I've tried independence, and I have failed in a big way. In fact, there was even a time where uh, I lost my house. You know, talk, talk about disappointing your wife, Barry. Wait till you lose your house in a business deal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, your wife looks at her home in a different way than we as men do. You agree with that? I mean, that is their comfort. That's where they live. That's their security. And, you know, 
I'll tell you what, I love my dear wife. Because, uh, and by the way, Barry, our anniversary is this Sunday, and I got your beat, 42 years. This Sunday. <laughs> to the same woman. And all those years in a row, too. All those 42 years in a row to the same woman. Anyhow, when I lost our home <clears throat> in a business deal, instead of Shirley coming to me and complaining and condemning and criticizing and judging, she was just silent and she said, well, what do you think we ought to do next? I mean, I'll tell you what, you want your love for your wife to grow? A woman who will forgive her husband of something like that, how can you help but love her with all of your heart? I am so thankful for my wife and I do love her as you do. I love her absolutely dearly. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Do you agree with that? We've been hearing that uh, from everyone who's been speaking. I want to read a couple of scriptures here for you. Begin with Ephesians 1, 3. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And 1 Peter two twenty four who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He has blessed us with healing. There's no doubt about that. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know <clears throat> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his sake, for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We have been blessed with prosperity. These are things that are absolutely ours. 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. We have been absolutely blessed by Jesus just because he loves us unconditionally. I am so glad he loves me unconditionally. I have tried to perform at times and I have failed miserably. It just doesn't work. It never has, and it never will. You know, I think things would have been a lot easier. I, you know, I have stood in front of the mirror so many times over the years, and I have thought to myself, how in the world can God love that man that I see in that reflection? Anybody thought that besides me? I mean, you just look at that, you know your weaknesses, you, you know your sins, you know everything about yourself, and you look in the mirror and you go, there is just no way. But he does anyway. He loves us in spite of everything that we've done and how we've acted and how we've treated our wife or our children or whoever it might be. But I believe this world is hungry for someone to speak words of blessing to us instead of what we see in the mirror. You know, it's taken years for me to overcome that. And it's really only been maybe in the last decade that I can actually look in the mirror and say to myself, God loves me. And even more importantly than that, I can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I love myself. That is a tough deal. That's, that's as hard as forgiving yourself. Loving yourself is not a simple thing. And that becomes a revelation in your heart that will set you free. And so the world is longing for men fathers, us in here, who will speak words of blessing to our wives, to our children, to those around us, to the homeless, to the fatherless, to those who need help. 
It, they're looking to us to do that. You know, it's so wonderful to speak to a group of men like you. These are the real men sitting right here. We're the, we are the real men. The world has a lot of ways of defining manhood. You know, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's sexual conquests. Uh, maybe it's athleticism. Just doing great in business. Into whatever it might be. They have a lot of ways. But when the world defines of man, at the very best, it's skewed. And at worst, it's absolutely perverted. You want to find out what a real man is like? Read John 10.10. 10, the story of the good shepherd. And you will learn what a man really is and what he should be. That's at least one chapter that you can read that will talk about that very thing. But you guys are the men of God who can speak blessing into the lives of many people. Wives, children, other family members. And they desperately need it. I would have given anything to have had a father who would have spoken those kinds of blessings into my life. I didn't have particularly a bad father. He wasn't saved. My mother was a believer. He wasn't. And so she led us spiritually. Here's a statistic. This is a side note here. I think that this survey was done by um, promise keepers. I'm not positive, but, I, but I'm pretty sure. It found that when a man leads his family spiritually, 93% of the time the children will follow that lead. And they will walk into the things of God. When a man is just passive, not necessarily negative, but he's just passive about it, like my dad was, and the mother has to be the spiritual leader, 17% of the time they will follow the mother into Christianity. Children are pre-programmed within their DNA, I guess you could say, to listen to and follow their fathers particularly because God has given us that authority and that responsibility. Does that make sense to you? And so a blessing from a father is big time. It means something to our kids. Now I'm clear off track. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> Genesis 27:34 says this. By the way, when I start talking about a blessing's father, I mean, pff, a father's blessing, forgive me. Was that a Freudian slip? Okay. When I start talking about a father's blessing and get into some of these things in a little bit, especially about your children and so forth, here's where I don't want you to go, okay? Don't go to the could-ofs or the would-ofs or the should-ofs. We forget those things that are behind, and we press on, do we not? So every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us have said things and done things we wish we would not have done. So as we get into some of these things, if this begins to stir in your heart, just let it go. Don't dwell there, because we can go on in the future and change these things. We can follow God in the future. We don't have to live like we did in the past. And God wants us to bless our families. In Genesis 27, 34, it says, When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried, and with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, he said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. His heart cry, Esau's heart cry to his father Isaac was blessed me because he knew under the old covenant that his father held his future in his hand. And it's true. Esau gave up his birthright to Jacob. We know that. And really at birth, uh, Isaac knew that because it said the 
older would serve the younger in the word of God. So you know what? Jacob and his mother Rebecca did not have to conspire to cheat and get the blessing. I believe that Isaac would have given it to him anyway because he knew that from their birth. But, but Esau was heartbroken because the blessing went to somebody else. And even under the new covenant, God is the one who blesses us. There is no doubt about that. But even under the new covenant, there is a tremendous need and the desire, especially within our children, to hear their fathers give them words of blessing. It's absolutely true. You know, um, let, me just, let me just share something with you real quick. An example of the blessing of a father. And this has to do with becoming a man. I remember sitting in church, and I was probably about 27 or 28 years old. And we were at that time in a Nazarene church. Any Nazarenes in here? Anybody been in the Nazarene church? You get saved every Friday night, right? Something like that. You recommit, you rededicate every Friday night. But I was sitting in this church. My wife, Shirley, was sitting there, and we had two children sitting beside me. Now, I had been to Vietnam. We got married when we were 19, so we were married pretty young. And then I went off to Vietnam, and I was a door gunner in a helicopter in the Navy doing river patrol. So I had been in a shooting war. And then Shirley and I had been married by that time by, you know, let's see, six or seven or eight years, whatever it was. I had a job. We had two children. And I remember looking at her and saying to myself, I wonder if I'm a man yet. How, how do you know when you're a man? What qualifies you to be a man? And I honestly didn't know if I was a man yet. I'll tell you what, there are a lot of men who are like that. They're big boys. They don't know if they have stepped into that role yet, even though they have children and jobs and money. They're still trying to live up to something and prove that they have become a man. Instead of having the blessing of a father convey that to them in truth, according to the word of God, and know for sure that they have arrived. Every young man is crying out to know, what does it take to be a man and when have I arrived? I didn't know that. How many of you knew that? Probably not too many, huh? You know, every young girl wants to know what it takes to be a woman and when will I become one? And you know who should be conveying that to our children? We should. Men of God to their children. Boy, this goes right along with the stuff that you're talking about in regards to your wife and all of these things. We are the ones who are to convey those blessings. You know, David Hardesty, you guys know who he is, general manager here at the ministry? He was telling me about something that just happened with his grandson. He had flown back with Gail because it was his son's grandson's 13th birthday. So his son, Corey, had arranged a rite of passage. Now, in the Jewish culture, it's called, for men, a bar mitzvah. It takes place at 13, and for girls, a bat mitzvah. I think that's what it's called. And so what it is, is it's a time where you take a young boy, and you say to him, you are now moving into the world of a man. You know, Paul said this. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. As far as we know, there is no time gap between childhood and manhood. You know, this whole idea of adolescence annoys me. I hate it. It's a myth. It's not true. You can't find adolescence anywhere in the Bible. It's just not there. 
You know, you're a boy or a young girl till you're about 13, puberty, which means adulthood. And then we should be taking our children into adulthood and treating them as men and women of God and no longer children. Does that make sense to you? That never happened to me. How many of you did it happen to? You know, this whole theory, let me just give you a little history without getting too far off track here. This whole theory of adolescence began with a guy named G. Stanley Hall in 1878. He is considered the father of adolescence. And what he did is he got the first Ph.D. ever issued in America. It came from Harvard University, and it was a Ph.D. in psychology. Now, he started out to be a preacher, but he changed his mind and decided to become a psychologist. And he became a humanist, an evolutionist, a Darwinist, whatever you want to call it. That's what he became. And he became a leader in academia. He was friends and buddies with people like Sigmund Freud. That was his world. And academia allowed this stuff to trickle down through the colleges and universities until it has become accepted in the country. And even in about the 1950s, the churches begin to accept adolescence as a fact. It never existed before 1900. Anywhere. John Quincy Adams negotiated the peace treaty between France and England at 16 years old. You know, we do not give our young men and women enough credit. We think of them as children in Never Never Land, in adolescence, between 12 and 20, and we give them, by consent, the right to be stupid and, quote, discover themselves. And what we are all really doing is we're saying, indulge your flesh and please don't hurt yourself along the way. And it's silly because they have within their heart a strong desire to make a difference in their life, and we're ignoring that. And they're at a time in their life when they can absolutely affect everything around them. And this has to do with the blessing of a father. And the ones that most of us have never gotten. We've never known uh, that we're a man. Sigmund Freud said this, and I'll tell you what, it it makes you puke. I'm going to read it to you. Can I say puke? No, okay. Adolescence is a period of emotional upheaval. This is Sigmund Freud. It's a period of emotional upheaval, inconsistent behavior, and vulnerability to deviant and criminal activity caused by psychosexual conflicts. Isn't that exciting to know that? Here's what I have to say to that. Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. And that is exactly what that is. You see what psychology does. Am I off the subject? We're doing okay here, okay. What psychology does is it makes observations. They take a segment of the population, let's say 12 to 20-year-olds, and they observe thousands of people. They say, you know, we have watched, we have talked with them, we have interviewed them, and therefore we have come to this conclusion, so therefore this is truth. There's only one truth, by the way, and it's in the Bible. You know what they're really doing? When you allow truth to teach you, I mean, when you allow observation to be the source of truth, you're missing it. Because all observation really does is tell you whether or not those that you are observing know the truth. That's all it tells you. 
It doesn't tell you the truth. It tells you whether they know the truth. And the only truth that you really know is the truth in the Word of God. That's why this whole psychology thing, I'm off in left field, forgive me. But that's why this whole psychology thing is just such nonsense in these things. Adolescence does not exist at all in any way. But our Western culture has allowed that to come. And we have missed this whole thing. You know, so many cultures other than the Western world still have a rite of passage for people, for young men and women. And we're missing that in our country. I got a little off the subject, but you guys will uh, let me do that, I think, right? So a father's blessing is extremely, extremely powerful. I think a lot of what's happened in my life and many of our lives could have been avoided if we would have had somebody speaking words of blessing into our hearts. Man, I would have loved to have had all that. I think how many years it has taken to get my mind back on track and how much effort it took to renew this mind. (laughs) And it isn't anywhere close to done yet. But the renewing of the mind, we all say we go through that. But you know what? If we could start younger, and if these things could be imprinted in our heart at a young age, how much better would it have been for us? How much easier would it have been for us? I know with our own children, we have two kids. And like Barry, uh, I have a son and a daughter. They're both married. They both have three children. My son has three boys, and all three boys consider themselves the alpha male in the family. So it's real interesting in that household. But uh, they all love God. All of them are saved and born again. And our oldest grandson is going to be 13 soon. And I can't hardly wait till uh, my daughter and son-in-law... Uh, have a special time for him when he's 13 year old and we're going to have a blessing time for him. David Hardesty, that was the story I left out. He had gone back uh, to visit uh, with them and they had set up this rite of passage for his son called Big D, but he's little David. And uh, they, had, they had men come over. Grandpa was there. Mom and dad were there. Other men that had, uh, had a part of his life came over and no children were allowed. And they had a special dinner for him. They gave him letters special letters they had written, they gave him special gifts, and they brought him into the world of men. And from that point on, he was considered a man. We did that with our kids as well. And I'll tell you, it changes everything. At some point with your children, and you know, I know I'm talking to grandfathers and dads and all of those kinds of things, and some of you have never had kids. You're young, you're not there yet. But you're going to be probably at some point. Uh, But this is so important. You know, at some point, you have to transition your children from law to grace. I'm a little off subject, but I got to tell you this. You know, when your kids are little, they are under the law. How do you tell a three-year-old, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh? You know, right? The substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Can't you understand that? Of course they can't. So you have them under the law when they're little. Because what does the law do? It helps develop habits. It controls behavior, for one thing. Secondly, it points you to Jesus Christ because you know you can't even keep your parents' rules. It points to the need of a Savior. And it teaches children to hear the voice of their parents. They are being trained to hear the voice of God. Where they will behave out of their heart and not out of their head, and not from external pressure, but because of what has been imprinted in their heart. That's what the blessing of a father can do. 
And God the Father wants to do that with us. You know, think of yourself. How many dads are in here? See, you're all grandpa's dads or something. Think of the heart of our children, whether they are adult children or young children, like a canvas. And you're the artist. In, in one hand, you've got a brush, and what it is is its responsibility and unconditional love. That's what you're holding in your right hand. In the left hand, you've got a palette of colors, which are words, actions, and deeds. And with those, you are painting an image on the canvas of your child's heart. And it's not just you. If you'll let him, it's the Holy Spirit through you. So you don't have to do this alone. It's an image of who God is and who they are in relationship to him. And it's an image of their destiny. That's the power that a father has in his hand. We are painting that image as granddads, as dads, as men, to our wives, to our kids, to those we are around, those who we have influence with. We are painting an image on their heart all the time. And where do we get our image? How does God paint an image on our heart? Through his word. It becomes the mirror that we look at. And he changes us by that mere image. But we can help other people if we will bless them with our words and with our actions and with our deeds. But, you know, we can also curse people. We really can. We say, well, I would never curse anybody. We do it every, every day. Well, maybe not every day, but we do it often. And I'll tell you how we do it. We do it through words of condemnation. We do it through words of criticism. We do it through words of complaint, and we do it by withholding our blessing. You know, condemnation creates strongholds of self-judgment and guilt. That's what it does when we condemn our kids or people around us. Criticism destroys initiative and creativity, and it creates a stronghold of failure. How many of us have experienced these things in our own hearts from our own moms and dads and those around us? You know, a lot of men have never had a dad. They've never known the love of God through their father, and they have a very difficult time relating to God. My dad wasn't a bad guy, but he never demonstrated the love of God to me. And it's always been a distant relationship with God until the last decade or so, where you begin to get in fellowship with him, and you no longer need your earthly father because you have your heavenly father. But until then, there's such a place for us to do that in our families. Complaining teaches us to magnify problems instead of finding solutions. And we create excuse-ridden people. And then withholding a blessing is probably the most insidious thing that we can do. Because what it does is it creates driven people, as you were talking about today. We, we create people who are so driven, they get this very deep-seated performance mentality. They got to measure up, but they never really can. They just don't get there. It's never possible for them to arrive. And they become people who are always saying to God, I'm going to do this. Come and bless me. Come and bless me. I want to do this. You know, they're driven to get something done instead of relaxing. Boy, Barry, I'll tell you, I keep going back to what you said. You begin to relax and you say, Father, what is it that you're doing that you want to do through me? And now it's your responsibility. I am just a vehicle to carry that out. 
And boy, that driven mentality begins to fade away. And that is a wonderful place to be. I don't know that any of us have ever completely arrived at that, but I'm beginning to move that way, and I'll tell you, it takes all the pressure out of your life. It takes it all away. But it's through that blessing that we are imprinting the hearts of people. You know, in Hebrew, the word blessing is, I think you say Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H. Is that how you say that, you scholars? And it means to empower, to prosper financially, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. But the curse is just the opposite. It cripples, it debilitates, and it disempowers. And we can do that through our words. In the Greek, the word blessing is eulogy under the New Testament, or eulogia. And it means eulogy. Unfortunately, most eulogies, which means to speak well of, we do it at funerals. (laughs) We need to be doing that while people are alive and blessing them while they're alive and speaking well of them while they're alive and become men of blessing. How many of you in here want to be a man of blessing? I do too. I want to be a man of blessing. And these words that come out, slap my mouth. You know, sometimes when they aren't words of blessing that are coming out of there. And we can do that. We have the power to affect hearts of wives and kids and people around us. And we need to be doing that. We're always, as fathers, painting some kind of image on the heart of our children. It could be adult children. You know, I've watched in my own family. And, and I'm not trying to disparage anybody particularly. But I've, I've watched my own mom speak critical words to my sister. And my dad speak words that just go into her heart as an older woman. And it just rips her apart. And she is born again and spirit-filled. And yet the words of her parents have that much weight in her life. And I know it breaks her heart. And it makes her insecure. And a lot of other things, not having unconditional love from mom and dad. You know, I'm a little tougher. I really don't care what they think anymore. <laughs> that's, that's probably, but I mean, I'm way past caring uh, what they think. And I don't have bad parents. But if they've got something bad to say about me, my Heavenly Father has something better to say about me. And it's good. And it's all good. <clears throat> You know, Barry, you took away this one scripture I was going to read. And I was going to say that everything on earth, you know, is a physical representation of something spiritual. So I'm going to read the same scripture you did again, Barry. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning church, concerning Christ and the church. The relationship between a husband and wife is basically a representation of the relationship between Jesus and the church. It's wonderful. Barry's already explained that. But a a blessing from a father mirrors the blessing our father has for us. It absolutely does. You know that even Jesus needed to be affirmed? How many of you ever thought about that? That Jesus himself, God in the flesh, needed to be affirmed. Let me read a scripture in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. 
Then Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why did God say that? Was it for those who were watching, who were there at the baptism? I don't even know how many were there. Does anybody know? Who was there besides John the Baptist? Maybe somebody, I don't know. But did God say that for those people? So that they would know that this was God? I mean, he was about to embark on a ministry where there were going to be thousands of miracles. Did he really need this to be said right there? I believe it was for Jesus' sake. Jesus needed to hear one more time that he was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. Because he was about to be driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness, pray and fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. And what was the devil really tempting him with? Who are you? Are you really God? <laughs> Are you really the, If you were the Son of God, would you? Could you? And God had just said to him before that, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He needed to be affirmed. We need to be affirmed about who we are from God. There is no doubt in my, my mind about that. And I, and I want to take time this morning... For those of you who want that, and we're not going to do it right, right this second. It's this afternoon, isn't it? It's not even morning. It's the afternoon, isn't it? For those of you who would like that, and I want to pray a blessing over you. We're going to come up here and, and lay hands on you if you would like. Before we do that, I want to talk to you about something else that I think is really, really important. And what I'm going to talk to you about is sometimes a hindrance to receive the blessings of God. There are many of you in here who have not been able to break through in health problems. You've been struggling with finances a long time. There have been habits and strongholds in your life that you have wanted to break, but you've not been able to break them. And here is one of the keys, not the only key, but here is one of the keys, and it lies in unforgiveness. You know, whether we forgive anybody or not, God's blessings are already ours. But when we have unforgiveness in our heart, it hinders our receiving what he has already provided. We need to forgive. I got to tell you a story. About uh, three or four months ago, I went back to Phoenix where my dad was. The reason I went back is my stepmother, I mean, I hardly know her. My dad remarried at 21, so she's almost a stranger to me, even though he's 89 now. I went back there because she called me. He'd been in the hospital a couple of days, and she said, you might want to come and see your dad. He's in serious condition. He's had uh, uh, intestinal surgery of some kind. And uh, who knows what's going to happen here. I mean, he is an older man. <clears throat> and so I went back to see him, and our relationship had been somewhat estranged over a long period of time. Not that we were mean to each other. We weren't like that. But when he divorced my mother, I was 21, uh, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I mean, I wasn't happy about it, but I didn't think it would affect me because I had loved my wife. We had kids. We had our own life. We were moving our own direction. But in time, I began to resent what had happened. Number one, I had responsibility for his wife, my mother. So I felt like he had put a, a heavy burden on me. Number two is we had children. He was disinterested in my children. How a grandfather can be disinterested in his grandchildren is beyond me. But he was. And I began to build resentment for him in that process. And so we just didn't talk much. Maybe once a year we'd have a phone call, and it might last two or three minutes. What's going on? How's the weather? Who's playing football? See you. Goodbye. I mean, that was about all there was to it. What I didn't know was on his side, he was building resentment for me because I wouldn't accept his new wife. 
There were two sides to that coin because he loved this woman and I resented her. You know, what kind of woman would be willing to enter into an adult, adulterous relationship with my dad? I wasn't going to love that woman very easily. And so that shouldn't have been that way, but that's the way it was. So anyway, over the years, I begin to realize that, uh, you know what, this isn't right. And my dad and I need to reconnect a little bit. And we just started talking to each other more and more. Not a great deal, but some. And in my heart, I just finally begin to release him and to forgive him. But I went to see him out in Phoenix. And when I got there, I walked into his room. And laying there before me, this six-foot, 160-pound man was now about 114 pounds of skin and bone. Tubes going everywhere, a colostomy bag, a catheter, you know, all of this stuff, all this medical equipment hooked up to him. And I looked at him, and he looked up at me, and he said, he's here with tears in his eyes. And I walked over to him. Any resentment, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness that was left in my heart evaporated just like that. It was gone. And I had the purest love for my dad I've ever had at that moment. Totally forgave him. Walked over to him, put my arms around him, gave him a hug and said, I love you, Dad. And with tears in his eyes, he pulls me down with what little strength he had. And he gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, I love you, too. And so we just sat and talked for a while. And, uh, you know, I stayed a day or so and then had to come back here because it looked like he was at least going to live through all of that. And then I called him a few days later. And we were talking, he was very weak, and I started reminiscing about when I was a child. You know, 8, 10, 12, 14 years old, and he would take me fishing and hunting. And I said, Dad, you know what? Because I felt like he was about to die. And I wanted him to feel and know that I loved him. <clears throat> I said, you know what, Dad? When I was growing up and we were hunting and fishing, you were really a good dad. And he just burst into tears on the phone. And had to give the phone to Nadine. He couldn't even talk. It meant so much to him. The only thing at the end of my dad's life, the only thing he wanted to know was whether or not I loved him. That's the only thing he wanted to know. You know, Billy Graham said this once. I've been at the bedside of many a famous man when they have been near death. None of them have ever said, I wish I would have built another kingdom. I wish I would have more money. I wish I would have affected more people on this earth. Every single one of them said, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. That was the most important thing to them. How they wished they would have blessed their family. And so when we're praying for you, I'm going to ask you to come up here if you want to. And I want to pray a father's blessing on you, a heavenly father's blessing. That you are his beloved son in whom he is well pleased and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And as you come up here, I think God's going to release you from many, many things in your life. He is going to change your life today. Is there anybody in here who would like to have that prayed over there? I'll tell you, just come up here, Daniel, if you would play, uh, pray for a minute. Barry, I'm going to need your help. <laughs> Praise God. Just line up across here. We're going to lay hands on every... Daniel, you can go ahead and play. We're going to lay hands on every single one of you and speak a blessing over you. 
And boy, God is going to free you. I know he's going to do that. You know, where's Gary? Gary Lukey, where are you? I need you to come up here if you'll start over on this side. These are men of God who have great families and understand the blessing of a father. Maybe you can start over there, Gary and Barry. You can go over here. And I'll start in the middle. And we're just going to pray for you. And watch God bring healing and deliverance to your life. Because you are blessed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. I'll just start with you, brother. 